In Exodus chapter 23, we begin a, a new sermon series this week, or not this, well, this week for the rest of this month, just called Forward. This time last year, we did the same thing where we speak to the church about the church and, and all of the things that we're wrapped up in and doing, and we'll mention some of those in just a second. Um, this weekend, uh, teenagers across the county, Limestone County Association, were filling the sanctuary the last two days, and um, last night they had a worship service here. And so the, the teenagers that were able to attend, um, if you see them dozing off this morning, you can give them a nudge, but they've been at it all weekend. And so we're, uh, we're grateful for them. And Josh Shirley, our student pastor, uh, led and led well here. And I know I saw him this morning, and this is one of those weekends where it's, it's tough to be back on a Sunday morning. But Josh, we thank you for your leadership, man. And thank you for the work that you put in with our students over the weekend. And pray that your uh, families that have teenagers will be a part of our student ministry in the days and years to come. It's, a, it's an important time in their life. Um, I also just want to take this time. Last night, this stage looked like lights and smoke and sound and a backdrop and all these things. And this morning, it looks like this. And the reason we were able to pull off both of those things is because there's guys that work behind the scenes that you probably have never seen, maybe not even know their name. And they're sitting back there in those booths and they make that happen. And guys, we're very thankful for what you do. We're very thankful. They, uh, and Josh and, and those guys in the back, they've been working all weekend to, uh, to serve and see that worship was put on. And so, man, we're so grateful for you and your families and the time that you sacrificed to, uh, because it's, it's truly a ministry to the Lord from their heart. So we thank you for that. And uh, as we begin this series, I just uh, ask that you would uh, be open to, to what God would show us this month about what our church is to be a part of together. Uh, on the front, I just want to encourage you, like, like this is a, a local church. Sometimes the bigger that a church can become, it feels like you can just kind of come in and this is where you go to church, but God would have you to belong to the local church. And what we should do, we do together here. We try to accomplish the glory of God and the good of man together as a local church family. So in Exodus chapter 23, we're going to look today as God lays out some celebrations that he gives to his people, Israel, in the Old Testament. In the 23rd chapter of Exodus, the context here is Israel is free from the slavery of Egypt. They are free people. God has set them free, and they are making their way to the promised land. And God has told this people, Israel, that they would be his people from among all the people groups. Through Moses, if you will obey me and keep my covenant... You will be my own special treasure from among all the nations, all the people groups of the earth, for the earth belongs to me. So God chose this people group, and they became a covenant people of God. They were purposed to reflect his glory. And with that, then he calls the leader Moses to front and center, and he says, because these are my people, give them instructions. Give these instructions to the family of Jacob and announce it to the descendants of Israel. Because when you belong to God, the guardrails of your life are set up by Almighty God. We belong to Him, therefore He tells us where to go and what to do and what not to do. And God begins to give instructions to His people as part of being a covenant people with God. But within that responsibility of those instructions and commandments are, are regulations to their society. Like this is how you live and this is what you do to stay within the framework that God gives you as a people group that belongs to Him. And he gives them instructions for worship. 
You don't just come in and worship God however you think that happens. You actually do it according to how I set, is what God says. But even past the instructions for how to live, instructions for how to worship, God gives them celebrations that are built in to honor him and for the purpose of remembering where he has brought them from. Now, building in rules and regulations is one thing that we know that we need. Amen. Does anybody here need guardrails or is it just me? But I'm grateful that God builds those in, but God in his goodness also builds in celebrations, festivals for the people to celebrate. And, and when we say festivals, that's actually what we mean. Because when you think that a preacher mentions that God gives festivals and celebrations, you're probably thinking, I'm sure these celebrations are like attending a wedding on a Saturday during the height of college football, right? Like that kind of, that kind of celebration. Now, if you did that, then grace be upon you as you had your wedding, and hopefully you chose an off week where somebody important was not playing. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't be offended by that. But, but that's not this kind of celebration. That's not what's going on here. I'm talking about this was a joyful experience where the people came together, one in spirit, one in purpose. They wanted to be there. This was God giving them that for the purpose of remembering. As I've studied it, the word festival means to move in a circle. To move in a circle. Now, how in the world is that joyful? How many of you have ever been to a Greek wedding? Yeah, like three of you. Yeah, here's what that means. Me either, okay? <laughs> like, I see some hands go up, and that's awesome. So now you can connect and vouch for what I'm about to tell you. But when you, if you will YouTube a Greek wedding or whatever, you will see quickly that there is a traditional dance that they do where they move in a circle. For those of you that have been to a traditional Greek wedding, anybody? Again, there's only a few of you, so you'll have to confirm that later. But they move in a circle, and they, they get together, and they join hands, and they come up, and then they go out. And what are they doing? They are moving in a circle, celebratory. It's, it, it is for the same purpose that they're together, to celebrate a relationship. This brings the people together. It's a good thing. It was purposed by God so that it would actually gel the people together. Something that is also interesting here when you study the word festival is that I've read where the implication of that word festival means to be giddy. So the people of God apparently got in a circle and did the get giddy. <laughs> Teenagers, I put that in there just for you. Do you want me to do the, the dance? I'm not going to do that. My son told me last night, he's like, that's funny. Don't do the dance, man. Don't do the dance. <laughs> Play on words for those of you. Anyway, just trying to connect with all people up here. Understand, this was national worship, meaning everybody together was purposed to worship God as they were the people of God. And Leviticus calls this the holy assembly. They were to set aside one day a week for worship and rest, and then three times a year, they were to travel together as a nation to the tabernacle, eventually into Jerusalem, and these families were to attend these festivals to foster unity, and it would connect them to each other under the common bond of gratitude towards the Lord. Let, let's just take a, a moment to remember that there, as we have people joining us online and grateful for the resources that God has given us to join in online. 
I want to encourage all of us to know, though, that we are, we are built for relationships. The online resource that we have available to us is good for when you cannot make it, for when you cannot be here, when your work sends you to a distance. Please don't ever think that that is to replace the gathering. God has built us to be together and sharpen one another and encourage one another and comfort one another. So it is a great resource that we are to have, but God would have you to be together with the body of Christ for, the, for one purpose of, of joining in and worshiping him together as a unit. Now, in Exodus chapter 23, verses 14 through 17, this is where God begins to lay out the celebration. And when you come to me and you celebrate... This is how you are to do it. Don't show up empty-handed and worship God in this way. And we're going to read together. The first celebration that God gives them is the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And maybe you're thinking, like, that is a lame name for a party. But just after this, you're going to realize how deep the meaning is within this festival. Chapter, Chapter 23, verses 14 and 15. Each year you must celebrate three festivals in my honor. First, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days, the bread that you eat must be made without yeast, just as I commanded you. Celebrate this festival annually at the appointed time in the early spring in the month of Abib, for that is the anniversary of your departure from Egypt, and no one may appear before me without an offering. This was a gathering, very simply, that was purposed for them to remember God, they had been in slavery. Their their people had been in slavery. And God freed them by his powerful right hand. He freed them up from slavery and oppression in Egypt. And he didn't want them to forget what he had done. He did not want them to forget for where he had brought them from and how he had delivered them out of the hand of an oppressor. Now, during this festival, this bread was to be made without yeast. When they came together, because at a party you eat, And so when they ate at this party, they were to eat bread without yeast. Why? If you look back in Exodus, when the people of God experienced the Passover, as they were slaves in Egypt and God was delivering them and the lamb's blood above the door and the angel of death passed over and kept those who were his safe. They were to eat unleavened bread when during that time and have meals without leaven or yeast in their bread during that time for a specific purpose. As you read it in Exodus chapter 12, it seems that the Lord has this strange obsession with no yeast. Like, during this time, if any of you have yeast in your home, you will be cut off from the nation of Israel. That's what God says to his people. Like, what is your deal with yeast? What, why is it that you, you do not want our bread to rise? Well, here's why. In the culture of Israel, leaven or yeast was a symbol of impurity or sin. So, God says, when you eat this bread, there is to be no inkling of influence outside of mine in what you are taking into yourself. Yeast works silently and secretly in bread. And it causes it to change from its purest form. And so symbolically, God was giving them a way to understand who they were dealing with. The holy God. God Almighty. 
who is morally perfect and pure. And as my people, you are to represent the very same thing. Now, some of us right now have heard the message and we can go on home. That is truly what God is getting across to those who belong to him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, as he was speaking of those who would change what he, God has for them in his purest form, he said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Beware of the subtle, sometimes silent, and even sometimes secret, deceiving teaching that will mislead you. If we wonder sometimes how our organizations, how our churches, how our families, if sometimes we wonder how our individuals have gotten so far from God, how a church that used to preach strong truth has gotten so sideways on the truth, if we wonder where that all started, it started with just a little bit of counter-influence. started with just a little bit of secret, silent, quiet deception. started with just a little bit of yeast in the dough a silent, deceptive influence that spread. And so the people that are far from God, it didn't always used to be like that. What happened? Something just moved in suddenly, and it was never dealt with and cast out. Be on guard for your families. Be on guard for you as an individual about who you listen to, about what you read. I'm just telling you, I would even say this today. If I don't preach anything accurate, you can tell me about it, but I would challenge you, you go home and study it yourself and see if what I'm saying is true today. So th- this is the purpose that God had in mind for his people, that as a people that belonged to and represented God, they were to be a holy, morally pure nation. And I would also say this today as we are speaking to a church together. If you are coming in this church trying to bring some, bring some kind of counter-influence to our body, you need to take that somewhere else. You need to take that discord. You need to take that counter-thought that would challenge the leader's doctrine. You need to take that somewhere else. Because this organization, this church that God has given us to oversee and lead and to be a part of and move for the glory of God and the good of man, if there are things to deal with, we will deal with them so that we can be one in spirit, one in purpose, a holy God-fearing body that relies upon his grace to move together. So don't try to turn this left or right when it's going straight. During this festival when God had the people eat bread made without yeast, He is reminding them of his holiness. This is the responsibility of those who are his, to be holy as he is holy. Now, in and of ourselves, this is the part we've got to hear this morning. Because a lot of times we come into church and we don't feel very holy. You don't have to amen that because I already know, right? We don't feel very holy. We don't feel like we have upheld this during the week. And so he is reminding them of holiness. What does that mean for us when we certainly don't feel that way? Or maybe we are under true conviction of the Spirit of God. Well, see, in and of ourselves, we can never accomplish holiness, which is why those who live and believe in Jesus are given the Holy Spirit. We are given God's truth and influence. He, the very presence of God, the Spirit of God, takes up residence within those who have turned from sin and turned to God. If this seems foreign to you, this is a biblical truth that when you turn from your sin and ask God for forgiveness and you place your faith in Jesus who is God and the way to the Father and eternal life, 
God promises you that his very presence will come into your life and take up residence. And he will convict us of our sin and of our need for God. He will convict us of the way that is right and is wrong. And when we yield to that leading of the Holy Spirit, we participate in the holiness of God. We are becoming a holy people, a royal priesthood that is participating within what God would have us to do as representatives of a holy God. Again, in and of ourselves, we cannot pull that off. But why would God give us the Holy Spirit to just keep on living in sin? God gives us the Holy Spirit to take us away from that which we called upon Him to save us from. So you've got power, church. You've got Holy Spirit power in you to take you away from that which trips you up. This is how we become the holy people of God. Holiness is meant to be a shared experience amongst all of us. But the truth is, y'all know us. Truth is, we come into church a lot of times and we're bringing in more of a shared experience of conviction than holiness. And that's because we are who we are. We have a week's history of sin. We have a weekend of sin. We have a heart and mind that is divided between two things. And if there be any yeast in the dough, it's time to remove it. Ephesians says, throw off the old, let the spirit renew your mind and put on the new nature created to be like God. First Corinthians chapter five, verse eight says, so let us celebrate this festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When we gather together with this in mind, you may think to yourself, as this is a tall task, I guess I'm only going to come to church on the weeks that are, that I've been good. How many of you, seriously, I don't, maybe we just don't have to show our hands, but I, I'm just going to tell you that I felt this. It's hard to come to church knowing the week you've had and you've lived within yourself. That's been fleshed out by sin or the weekend you gave way to yourself or whatever. How many of you, after three, four days where you've lived completely within your feelings and you've got a list of sins that are starting to build up, how, how many of you on Sunday morning think, man, I am looking forward to getting in there and hearing that guy preach. Yeah, me either. As I told you many times before, there was a chapter of my life where I entered the doors of the church, it seemed like always, with my head held low. Couldn't think about anybody else because I was thinking about how I needed the forgiveness of God so bad in my life. Well, when you play the game of, I just don't feel like I need to be in church this morning. I don't feel like I should be with the gathering because I know who I am. That's a dangerous game. You'll start living within your feelings, start living apart from the body of Christ. And keep in mind, this is the good news. Keep in mind, it was not the unleavened bread that pardoned them from death. It was the lamb's blood above the door. It was the lamb's blood shed on behalf of their sin and wickedness that pardoned them from death. You are not saved by getting your life together. You are saved by the blood of the Lamb. By what God did for you. That's how we are saved. That we would place our genuine faith and life in His work, not in our work. If you come to church in the gathering and worship and service based on your works, it'll be a roller coaster. But if you come in by the grace of God, you'll be here every time. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. So when we wake up on Sunday morning after a week of wandering, after a weekend of wandering, come back to His grace. 
Come back to the gathering with the understanding that God has covered over your sin. And don't take it for granted, but embrace it because it's there for you. The scripture also instructed in Leviticus of this festival. Y'all get this. For seven days you must present special gifts to the Lord. That's what it said. It goes on to say, when you come to this party, don't you show up without an offering. And that goes for everybody. That's what he said to the entire nation of Israel. In chapter 23, verse 15, no one may appear before me without an offering. What kind of offering? Burnt offerings. A ram, a lamb, a goat, and one that was without blemish. And, and, and it was made by fire unto the Lord. And, and you're probably getting these graphic images and you're thinking to yourself, like, that is, that's harsh. Like, what, it, what is that about? How could that be pleasing to the Lord? Why did they have to bring these burnt offerings to the Lord? Because it made an entry point for the people to have fellowship with God. God is holy. You cannot approach God any way that you want to. See, we can't just say that God does all these things and he puts up with all of my stuff and I talk to God all the time and just conclude that on our own. See, in, in order for us to have a right, real relationship with God, there must be an entry point made by the way of blood. That is the Bible. It's not what I'm making up. The, the scripture teaches us that the blood sacrifice of an animal in the Old Testament represented the life of a person. It was consumed by the flames for the injustices committed by the individual because there is no approach to holy God apart from a blood sacrifice for sin. Why? Because it's the ultimate expense. It's the ultimate expense. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, the second half of that verse says, it is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Now see where we're going with this. You see where we're going with this. And all of, in order for all of us together to actually be the church and worship God together, then we have an entry point that we must go through. And that entry point to fellowship with God, right with God, is made possible by the blood of Jesus. Jesus, the pure and perfect, spotless Lamb of God, laid down His life, not for His sins, but for ours, so that we could be in a gathering joyfully together for the glory of God. I don't pray and trust that God hears my prayers because I was born. I pray and trust that God hears my prayers because the blood of Jesus gets me to his throne. That's how important this all is. No one appears before me without an offering. That means everybody had sin. You see, we're all in this together, truly. We're either sinners saved by grace or we're sinners that need to be saved by grace. And search your heart for the sin that, that sways you. Jesus, the Lamb of God, died for you so that you may live in freedom from sin. Not so that you may live it up in sin, the sin that God has forgiven you of. And if you have turned from your sin and turned to God, for all of us who are forgiven and freed up, we together come together to pray, to worship, to serve, and to gather in his name for real. Because God gave of himself and Jesus shed his blood so that we might be acceptable in the sight of God. And glory to God for that. The second festival, the festival of the harvest, a harvest festival. 
In Exodus chapter 23, verse 16, the Bible says, Second, celebrate the festival of the harvest when you bring me the first crops of your harvest. So this is obviously a, a party of provision. They are coming together as the people of God to express gratitude for what God had done for them. He had freed them up from Egypt, and they celebrate that. But now he is leading them to a promised land, and along the way, God is providing for them through the fields, through agriculture. And upon arriving at the, the tabernacle and later the temple, the offering for the festival was for each family to bring a bundle of grain from the first cutting of the family's grain harvest. Now, there may be a few grain harvesters in here this morning, but probably not many. So it still applies that if God provides for you, it is only right to tell him thank you. It is only right to present an offering unto God who is real and exists that you are grateful for his provision. And this is a responsibility that was shared by the entire nation of Israel. Now, at this point, if you are a guest here today, if you're a first-time guest, third-time guest, or if you are checking Lindsay Lane out and just stopping along the way to see where the Lord would lead you as a disclaimer, this part is not for you. But if this is your church, if Lindsay Lane Baptist Church is your church, as we have been called together for the glory of God, this part is for all of us, starting with me, and I pray that it is received well. And I say all that because anytime you talk about money, folks just... Now, if it's not in here, I won't talk about it, right? But we, we all get up in arms because he's trying to mess with our money. No, that's really not, not what we're doing. And truth be told, if I'm taking a holy risk here, the ones that get upset about money are the ones that are not giving anyway, so what are we losing? And that'll preach right there, straight up. That'll straight up preach. Just being honest. That was a holy risk. All right. <clears throat> Lord, please cut through all that. Did you know that the average church budget is carried by less than 25% of the people in their regular contributions? That's across the board, across the Southern Baptist Church. The, the entire budget of a church is carried by less than 25%. It's more like 20% or below. So here's the good news, because what I want to do this morning is I actually want to tell you thank you, because Lindsay Lane is not in that statistic. Our church, straight up, we're not in the norm. A little over 30% of our people carry the majority of the budget. That, that is above average, and that is built on the foundation of a longtime pastor and staff who have led the way in generosity, that we continue to see God move when he moves through the hearts of the people and we're willing to yield to that. See, as I say that, though, when I give you the stats, and these are stats, within that reality is both an encouragement and a challenge all in the same time. Because you heard what the percentage was, that it's a little bit over 30%, and that is above average. I want to I encourage us today, over the years, your generosity, because a lot of people have been here for a long time, over the years, your generosity has contributed to this great work that began two buildings over as a small setting. God has blessed tremendously here and used the people of God 
to continue to raise up, to send out, to see people continue to stir the waters of baptism, see people be saved and leaders be raised up. And God used the generosity and and the provision that he made through the people to see those things happen. But it hasn't happened just here. We have two church plants in our community that is Limestone County that both average over 200 people every Sunday. Well, that started from the vision of a pastor, the faith of a people, and the financial backing of those folks. And it's not even stopped there. We have an entire Christian school, an entire Christian ministry that is Lindsay Lane Christian Academy that that God has raised up for the demand of this time that is ministering to people in a different way that is very, very needed, that God continues to bless. And this started with the vision of a pastor, the backing of a people. We have seen missionaries sent out from this church. We have seen, we have approximately just under 40 missionary partners across the world that we partner together with as a church to see that the word of God and the gospel goes out of this central point of Limestone County across cultures around the globe. Y'all, did you know that this church actually created a heart language version of the Bible for an entire people group? Glory to God. You see, that's what happens when we all get generous together. When we all realize what God has done for us, and out of that we present an offering to him and see what God does with it. I have to remind us of those things because it's going to happen again. I remind us of this because God continues to give vision. We have seen things be proven. We have seen new works and people go to those new works. We have seen God make provision for the continual growth. This is not about Lindsay Lane. This is about the kingdom of God. And so if we are faithful stewards of what God has given us, there's no reason for us to doubt that God would do it again. Because he will and wants to. And I believe that God will continue to use us for things that are coming in places that we've not been to before, and leaders that have not been raised up. So go on and start praying, because the challenges will come, and nobody's being pressured or twisted of an arm to give. You give according to what you've got. But what we see in Scripture is the principle that as God has provided, we present an offering because He has taken care of us, and because God will use it for His glory. On another note, I've read where the percentage of people who serve in the church in a volunteer role is about 40 to 50%. About 40 to 50%. Truth is, is I don't know what our stats are right offhand, and I could have gotten that from our staff if I'd have got this information to them beforehand. But let's just say that we're on the higher side of that because I believe that we are. I want to take this time because I don't do it enough, and I was reminded of this Wednesday night. I don't tell you thank you enough for how hard you work for the glory of God and the good of man. We have people that give up their Wednesdays, Wednesday nights to see that children are discipled. We have people right now as we speak that are serving in the children's ministry that sometimes if they'd be honest, they would be glad to sit in front of the word of God today. But right now they are getting the word to somebody else. You teach and you lead and you serve and you drive a golf cart and you open up the door And there's no way that all ministry gets done here without you. It's the truth. And I don't tell you thank you enough, and I just want to tell you thank you. And there's no way that I could hit every single place where every single person volunteers. But when you volunteer and you serve, you serve the Lord and you serve him well. And I just want to tell you thank you. 
Now, you're probably thinking, yeah, but what are you about to say? Well, there is a challenge that comes with that. I am grateful for that our, our stats are above average. But I read to you the stats. 31% of our church, 40 to 50% of our church. Let me just ask you this question to kind of hit us where we live. How many of you want your favorite college football team to win three or four or even five games a season? Yeah, me either. We are the church of the living God. We represent the holy of holies, the God who saved us, who gave to us, who provides for us, who sustains us. We are not an average or below average people. We are a royal priesthood. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out the truth and live holy before a world looking on. We are not to be a three, four, or five win kind of team. We are to be everybody together dominating the culture that's outside us for the glory of God and the good of man. Now bring it in. Just kidding. But bring it in and let's get after it. And go hit Satan right in the mouth. You see, there is a preaching point here. Truly, there's a preaching point. The people work the land and the dirt that God created. You drive to work in a car that God provided for you. There's money in your bank account because God lets it be. That's the truth. You see, that the people planted a crop that God watered. There ain't no rain from the sky, then it don't go. The people received provision that God produced. Therefore, all the people were instructed towards gratitude and generosity because they benefited off of what God gave. And this offering was to the glory of God, but for the good of man because it caused them. God doesn't need our money. He gives us this demonstration of dependence to remind us who we are and who we are not. There are times when my children forget themselves. For example, when my son puts blasto butter popcorn in the microwave and he pours it into a ready bowl and sits beside me on the couch, I mean, I'm going to come calling. I mean, I'm going to put my hand in that bowl for this buttery goodness that is blasto butter popcorn. Sometimes I feel like I should get endorsements from these companies. But that's just the way it is. Sometimes I call it a dad tax. Maybe I should call it a dad tithe. I don't know. But you know when this happens. Guys, you know when this happens. My children have the audacity to say something like, Dad, get your own. To which I reply, that is my own. (laughs) Yeah. You sleep in a room that you did not pay for, brother. There's a drink. Go and get that Gatorade out of the fridge. You didn't pay for that either. That's mine. Like, we forget ourselves. Now, in fairness to my family, if God comes after a tenth or that's just the start, sometimes I'm trying to take 50% and I could get up and go get my own. But God doesn't come calling after our tithes and offerings. Do you realize that? Nobody leaves here today with Lindsay Lane going, if you don't give here, you're not a member here. Nobody's actually putting that before you, even though we share the responsibility that we all have. God doesn't come calling after your tithes and offerings, even though he has the absolute right to do so. In the Bible, you will read of tithes and offerings, giving unto God that God uses for man. Tithes and offerings are certainly a way that we support the needs and the work of the local church. 
as we minister within the church, we minister to the community and to the world at large, and there is a practical outworking of giving, but there is also a personal reason for giving. There's a personal reason. Giving of tithes and offerings is a personal demonstration of faith that the God that you depend on will continue to take care of you. It's a personal demonstration of gratitude to God our provider. It's a personal demonstration of generosity that reflects his character. And there are promise points in the scripture. Just listen, because again, this is not being made up by me. There are promise points in the scripture that when we give our money, time, our gifting, God has the heart to bless us as we trust him. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You can read more in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 to find the same. Listen, this is usually the point where I say, and so with that, as we talked about money, I want you to look at the screen and see these 16 different things you can give to. I'm not doing that. I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. There's going to be opportunities to come up in the future. You decide, as the Scripture says, just like it says in your own heart, how much you want to give, some or none, or a lot. I would be unfaithful if I don't talk about giving to the church. So to close out this point, I think it's also important to point out that the first harvest, this this harvest festival, this first harvest was viewed as the promise of a larger harvest to come. I remember when farmers around here, I've shared this before, I remember when farmers around here would be pictured in the paper, the local paper, does anybody actually get a paper nowadays? But I remember when a local farmer who had the first bowl of cotton would have his picture taken and be placed in the paper. What does that first bowl of cotton mean? There's more of that to come. There's more of that cotton on the way. So as the priest is waving a bundle before the Lord, it is a sign that God will provide for his people a harvest that will be provision for them. The deeper meaning to all this, though, is God's purposeful provision and position for his people is going to be the bread and the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived to show us how to live, died to show us or to provide a way for us to have eternal life and raised from the grave and all of the power of God. And the Bible says that when he raises from the grave, that is the first fruits or the bundle harvest of a bunch more to come after him. That's you and me if we are believers. So that initial waving of the bundle is to set up for many more who would experience eternal life. All who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Finally, this is the last uh, last celebration or festival. Chapter 23, verse 16, last half says, Finally, celebrate the festival of the final harvest at the end of the harvest season when you have harvested all the crops from your field. So the third festival was after God had produced provision and profit. Then they would go to God, and y'all listen to this as we sum it up. This time, the priest would not wave a bundle up in the air. This time, every family brought to the priest two loaves of bread. So now God has provided for you the entire time. Now take some out of that abundance, give it to the priest, and let him wave up two bundles of bread now that God has seen you through the harvest season. This was taken at the end of the harvest, and this is a reminder of what? Of the faithfulness of God. That God said he would and he did. 
And the scripture says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, don't lose me here. Stay with me because this is good. Just as the Lord delivered them from slavery and death in Egypt, just as the Lord led them to the land of promise and provided for them, and just as the Lord brought them and positioned them and provided for them all the way to the end of the harvest for the glory of God. You fast forward to what God has done and is doing now. Just as God has delivered us from sin and death, just as God has given us the promise of eternal life, now God brings us together as the church for the glory of God and the Spirit of God inside of us. That is the overall deeper meaning of these festivals. And if you fast forward to Acts chapter 2, the festival of the complete harvest, or your Bibles may say of Pentecost, this is when the Spirit of God was given to the early group of believers that is called the church. That is what we are a part of. And those two loaves represent Jew and Gentile, people of differences, people of different backgrounds and contexts and beliefs. But we are all brought together under the blood of Jesus Christ and wave it before God for his praise. That is the deeper meaning of these festivals that God is giving to the people to come together and circle up and be proud of and represent. Let's close with this. Exodus chapter 34, verse 24 says, I will drive out the other nations ahead of you and expand your territory so no one will conquer your land while you appear before the Lord your God three times each year. What is God saying to them? What he is saying is when you and your family leave your home and go to the celebration, I'll take care of you while you're going, and I'll take care of your home while you're away. This is the faithfulness of God. This year, through our Give to Go missions offering that's coming up again in October, the money that you gave last October has made it probably the most affordable that it's ever been for you to go on a mission trip. That's the truth. You, you gave to the Give to Go missions offering. And for some of us, we think about a mission trip for a second, and then we think about something else, right? It'll take this kind of trust to get you outside of your comfort zone and go across a culture to minister in the name of Jesus. For you to trust that while you're away, God will take care of your family. That's what I'm going after. To trust that when you step away from everything that you got, but I got work, and I got family responsibilities, and I got ball, and God keeps going, yes, I see that, but I'm trying to get you outside of yourself. I'm drawing your heart towards a people group that could need you, and I'll minister to you through that. As God is working on you to get outside of the boat, just trust today as he made a promise to his people that he will take care. Just as he promised to be with them, he promises to be with us. If, if you in here today as we give a, another opportunity, somebody I know in a, in a body of people this big has probably experienced the calling of God on their life towards ministry. God would call you to preach. God would call you to be a missionary. God would call you to a position of service. God wants you to stand up and sing. God wants you to stand up and say something. If that is happening, but you keep holding that down, you've got to trust that God will take care of you. I never forget, I was standing on the sidelines a few years ago talking to a young man about ministry. And this is what he said. I've shared this before, but man, it makes a point. He says, you're a pastor, huh? I said, yep. 
He said, that's cool. He said, I've actually thought about being a pastor before. I said, well, that's great, man. Have you explored that call? He goes, yeah, but there's no money in it. That's exactly what he said. And I thought to myself, brother, I'm glad you won't be a pastor. I'm glad you won't be mine. But see, there's, there's this call that says God will take care of you and this pull from the world that says you got to take care of you. God just told his people, when you are away and do what I told you to do, you can trust I'll take care of you. Somebody needs to hear that. God is still calling missionaries, still calling worship leaders, still calling preacher boys, still calling student pastors. Trust God and step out of the boat. Maybe your family is thinking, we've got to change something. We have got to be more obedient. We've got to do this. Again, one of the things that keeps us from giving is we think our money is our own and we got such a death grip on it, it becomes our God. And tithing is all about, offerings is all about trusting God that God will take care. He says, test me in this, is what the scripture says. That, if we're honest, that's the reason we don't think about giving too much is because we got every dime spoken for, Lord. God is faithful. He's faithful. Isn't it amazing how we trust God with our salvation, the most important thing that we could ever have, but we don't trust him with all the other stuff? You say, man, yeah, I'm saved. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. So Jesus won't help you while you're here until you get there? So God is, is not alive and well in the world, not willing to take care of him, there's people now, provide for them. And if he calls you to something, he'll see you through it. He's faithful. So together, the scripture leads us today and through this month to see that we are called together to be holy, that we are called to honor God with our resources, and we are called to remember that God is faithful. Y'all, as I close, this is it. You have got to stop seeing this place as a place. You've got to start seeing it as a purpose. God has called us together to be the church. This is where we grind at. This is where we give from. This is where we minister out of. On Wednesday night, this is where we come in. We learn about our ministry partners. This is where we contribute and we make things to go out. And then two Wednesday nights after that, we continue to go out into the community. The, the last Wednesday of this month, before the last one, it's the next last Wednesday, we will go out into our community just to invite people to Easter services. Does anybody in here believe that people in our community need to be in front of the gospel on Easter? Amen that come in and take a holy risk and step outside of the boat and trust God to take care of us and put a door hanger on the door. If, if we're fishers of men, it's just a cast. Be a part of it. Be a part of it. Don't just attend it. It's not a place. It's a purpose. All right, I can keep going. It's 1040, 1140. Let's stand to our feet. God, I stand and I thank you for the local church. I thank you, O oh God, for you have given us great purpose together to do things that by ourselves individually we would never be able to accomplish. But together we can do so much to represent your glory. Lord, long after we're gone, people won't remember our name, but your name stands forever. And Lord, I pray that we would see ourselves sometimes, Lord, not as the big names in the Bible, but we would just see ourselves as a part of your people that are doing what you called us to do to not leave a legacy for ourselves, but we leave a legacy for your glory. 
Lord, challenge us. I, I pray that you would change us. Lord, if we need to join the church today, if that is the, the step we need to take to join in and be together, Lord, if we need to begin giving, if we need to start serving, Lord, if we need to respond to a call to ministry that you are obviously putting on our life, Lord, you've gifted us, the church has confirmed it. Lord, I pray that we would just trust you and be faithful, God, as you are faithful. I thank you, Lord, for giving us regulations and rules and guardrails, but I want to thank you, Lord, for this gathering that you put together that is the church. We get to come in and sing joyfully and be reminded of what you've done for us. And out of that, Lord, I pray that we would present you offerings that our bodies and lives would be a living sacrifice. Lord, that people would see our good works and give you glory. And I pray today, Lord, if there's one or many that have never turned from themselves and turned to your grace. And Lord, when it comes to salvation, they don't have it. They're on the outside looking in, God, but they've learned of your grace and your provision today. Lord, that they would simply come or that they would find us afterwards and help us, Lord, help us to help them work through it. Or God, if it be, that wherever they are right now, that they would call upon your name to be saved, simply and seriously turning from sin and turn to you. Lord, we lift this invitation to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you. Let's worship together, respond together.